Chapter Forty of Herb of Grace. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Herb of Grace by Rosa Nuchet Carey. Chapter Forty. He is my rival still. Fire that's closest kept burns most of all. I, so true love should do, it cannot speak, for truth has better deeds than words to grace it. Shakespeare Love is patient and content with anything, so it be together with its beloved. Jeremy Taylor It was on a bright, sunshiny April afternoon that Malcolm at last paid his long-deferred visit to Staplegrove. Cedric had been at home for nearly a week then, but he and Malcolm had already met. Cedric had spent a night at Cheney Walk before going down to the woodhouse, and had extracted from his friend a reluctant promise that he would come down as early in the week as possible. Malcolm's assurance that he could only spare two nights was treated by the young matron with incredulity. "'Look here, Herrick,' he returned in a lordly manner. "'It is no good putting on side with me. You may be a brilliant essayist, as that fellow called you, and a tip-top literary swell, but you are not going to chuck up old friends in this fashion. You are going to pay us a decent visit, or your humble servant will kick up no end of a shindy.' But to all this Malcolm turned a deaf ear. He repeated gravely that his engagements would only allow him to sleep two nights at the woodhouse. And as Malcolm had made the engagements himself, for the express purpose of shortening his visit, he probably knew best. Cedric grumbled a good deal, and used some strong language, but he quieted down after a time and they went on with their conversation. For Cedric had a plan in his head, and he wanted his friend's advice and cooperation. As Malcolm listened, he wondered what Dinah would think of her boy. Cedric looked at least two or three years older. He was broader, stronger, and Malcolm even fancied he had gained an inch in height. He was certainly a magnificent specimen of an athletic young Englishman. He had always been handsome, but in Malcolm's opinion he had never appeared to greater advantage than now. His skin was slightly tanned by sun and wind, and his hair had darkened a little. He had lost the expression of weak irresolution which had marred his face, and he had evidently grown in manliness and self-restraint. His manner was still boyish at times, and Malcolm was glad to hear the old ringing laugh. Cedric's wound had been deep, but it was not incurable. Time and change of scene had been potent factors in the cure. Malcolm listened, with a great deal of interest, to the scheme that Cedric intended to lay before his sisters. It appeared 
that in the Bavarian highlands he had stumbled across an old schoolfellow, Harry Strickland. "'We were chums at Haleybury,' went on Cedric. "'Harry was always a good sort, but his people sent him to Cambridge, so I lost sight of him. I knew his father was dead, and that an uncle had offered him a home. His mother had died when he was quite a little chap, and he had no brothers or sisters.' But when we met in the inn that wet night, when Dunlop and I were nearly drowned getting down from the Alp, he told me that a fit of gout had carried off his uncle quite unexpectedly. "'Poor chap! He seems a bit lonely,' observed Malcolm sympathetically. "'Yes, he was mooning about and rather bothered what to do next.' so he was delighted at the idea of joining some of our excursions. But I will keep all that for the wood-house, for we had no end of adventures. The daredevil Englishman, as they called us. But never mind that. I must hurry on. Harry is his uncle's heir. Not that that amounts to much. But he has come into possession of a fine old farm, that has been in the family for a hundred years at least, with plenty of good land, but alas little capital. The facts of the case are these, Herrick. Roger Strickland was not a rich man, and for want of a little ready money the farm has deteriorated in value. There is plenty to be got out of the land, if only more could be spent on it. They want a new barn and some outhouses, and some of the fencing is disgraceful. As for the priory itself, it is the priory farm, you know. It is an old ramshackle place, and in sore need of repair. Some of the floors are rotten, and there are holes and crannies, and the mice and rats hold high revel in the disused rooms. My dear fellow, "'Your description is not alluring,' remarked Malcolm, wondering what all this meant. "'Oh, I'm telling you the worst. It really is a lovely old place. Only Harry declares he would not live there alone for anything. It is supposed to be haunted by a certain evil-minded Strickland, in a green velvet suit and a powdered periwig, who drags one leg.' "'But I will tell you the story another time. "'It will make your hair stand on end.' "'Now Harry's difficulty is this. "'He has so little capital "'that he is half afraid of taking up the farm himself. "'And yet it is the only life he cares about. "'And he wants to find someone, with money to spare, "'who would join him in working the concern. "'And here... Cedric stopped, and looked significantly at Malcolm. "'Ah, I understand now,' returned his friend. "'It is to be a sort of partnership. "'And so you think you would like to take to farming, eh, Cedric?' "'Like it,' returned Cedric, colouring with excitement. "'It is the very life I should choose.' It would be just splendid for Harry and me to work together. Oh, I know what you're going to say, as Malcolm opened his lips. But wait a moment, and let me finish first. 
Of course I know nothing of farming, and Harry knows precious little either, but he has a good bailiff whom he can trust, and whose wife manages the dairy. What I'm going to propose is this, that Harry and I should go to the Agricultural College at Sirencester for a few months, and get an idea of the business. And then, if Dinah would start me with a good round sum, we could begin to get the place in order. I have set my heart on it, Herrick. And here Cedric's voice was very persuasive. And I want you to come down and talk it out with her, like the good fellow you are. I will come, of course, returned Malcolm slowly, and on the whole I am inclined to approve of your plan, but I do not think we can decide anything in this off-hand way. I think the best thing would be for us to reconnoitre the place, and perhaps Mr. Strickland could accompany us. The bailiff could give us full particulars, and we might consult Mr. Strickland's lawyer if we are in any difficulty. And Cedric made no objection to this arrangement. They could go into the thing properly, of course, and there was no need to hurry matters. He only stipulated that Malcolm should come down and talk to Dinah without delay. This Malcolm had already promised, and when Cedric went to bed, he felt assured that Malcolm's interest and sympathy were fully enlisted on his behalf. "'It is a foregone conclusion, as far as Dinah is concerned,' he thought, as he laid his head on his pillow. "'Herrick can make her believe anything he likes. She has such faith in him. He is only to say that it is a capital plan, and that I shall make a first-rate farmer.' and she will be ready to take out her cheque-book at once. Cedric went round to 27 Queensgate to pay his respects to the ladies before he started for Staplegrove. Malcolm, who had dined there that night, was amused by his mother's openly avowed admiration of their young friend. Cedric Templeton is one of the most attractive-looking men I have ever seen," she said in her most serious voice. He is very much improved in every way, and is altogether charming. "'I hope you agree with my mother, Anna,' observed Malcolm, laughing. "'I think Cedric's ears must be burning at the present moment.' But Anna only returned, rather shyly, that she thought Mr. Templeton looked extremely well. Malcolm had fixed his day, but he refused to state any hour for his arrival. There was no need to send the dog-cart for him. He would prefer taking a fly from the station. Of course he put forth business as his plea, but in reality he did not wish Cedric to meet him. The lad's incessant chatter all the way to Staplegrove, would have worried him excessively. It was just a year since he had seen Elizabeth, and in his heart he was secretly dreading that first meeting. Perhaps he had left it too long. He ought to have gone sooner. 
they would be like strangers, and the first interview would be very embarrassing to them both. Yes, he had been a fool to spare himself the pain of seeing her grief. He had kept away, banishing himself for all these months. And yet what good had it done him? It had only increased his nervousness and discomfort tenfold. He was haunted by the fear that he should find her changed, that she would be cold and distant with him. He worked himself up into such a fever at last that halfway up the Staple Grove Hill he stopped the fly and told the driver that he wished to walk, and directed him to take his bag to the wood-house. The walk certainly refreshed him, and by the time he reached the crow's nest he felt more ready for the ordeal. When he came to the gate that led to the wood-house, he hesitated, and then crossed the road and stood for a few moments, looking down the little woodland path he remembered so well. No other place was so associated with Elizabeth. How often he had met her at this little gate, and waited for her when he knew she was coming back from Rotherwood. That day, for example, when she wore her white sunbonnet and came along swinging her arms like an imperial milkmaid, a very queen of curds and cream. At that moment a little sharp clang of a distant gate made his heart beat suddenly. There were footsteps. Yes, without doubt there were footsteps. It was no fancy. Then, at the bend of the road, he could see distinctly a tall black figure, walking rather slowly and wearily along. And though he could not see her face, he knew it was Elizabeth. The next minute he unlatched the gate a little noisily. He would not steal a march on her. She believed herself alone. Then she looked up and quickened her pace, and when he came up to her, there was actually a smile on her face. "'You are fond of surprises,' she said, looking at him as she gave him her hand. "'Am I late? Have you come to meet me? And what have you done with your luggage?' "'I have sent it on,' he returned quietly. "'It is such a lovely afternoon that I preferred to walk.' "'No, I did not come to meet you.' For all I knew, you might have been at the wood-house. I only had a fancy that I would like to see the woodlands again, and then I saw you coming. It is not my usual afternoon for Rotherwood, she returned quickly, but a faint colour had come in her face at his words. But I am there most days. You know, of course, Dinah will have told you, of the new interest I have there. I think Di tells you most things," she continued, with the same glimmer of a smile on her lips. "'Yes, she is very good,' he returned gravely. They were walking side by side now. Malcolm had hardly trusted himself to look at her, and yet nothing had been lost on him. How changed she was! That was his first thought. She looked years older. Mourning did not suit her. The black hat, with its heavy trimming, 
seemed to extinguish her somehow. She was paler and thinner, he was sure of that, and had lost some of her splendid vitality. And yet in spite of all this, it was to him the dearest face in the world. As she made that poor little attempt at a smile, his whole heart went out to her in profound love and pity, and he forgot his own pain in remembering her trouble. "'Your sister told me about Mr. Carlion,' he said, as they crossed the road. "'I was very glad to hear from her how well it answered.' "'He is very happy at Rotherwood,' returned Elizabeth. "'The people seem to take to him, and he and the vicar are like brothers, and the work exactly suits him. Theo is happy too, and that is a great blessing. We have made the cottage so pretty that I should like you to see it." Elizabeth's manner became more natural. She spoke now as though she were sure of Malcolm's interest. He did not disappoint her. I shall certainly call there when I go to the vicarage," he returned, and then he stopped as though to take breath. I was very glad when I read your sister's letter, and knew that this new work was to come to you. It must make you so much happier." Malcolm's words were almost magical in their effect, for Elizabeth turned to him with her old eagerness. "'Oh, you always understand,' she said gratefully. "'That is why it is so easy to talk to you. "'Yes, indeed, it has made me so much happier. "'Life is worth living when one knows there is someone in the world "'who depends on one for earthly comfort. "'Of course, Mr. Carlion has Theo, "'but she does not know him as I do.' I'm at the cottage nearly every day." Malcolm listened and smiled, but he could not have spoken at that moment. How little she guessed how her words stabbed him! She could tell him to his face that life was worth living because there was someone dependent on her for earthly comfort, and yet she could leave him hungering and thirsting in that sad pilgrimage of his. All her thoughts and sweet ministries were for David's father. It is for him, he thought bitterly. He is my rival still, dead as well as living. She is very faithful. She will not forget him, and her heart is still close to me. Elizabeth did not seem to notice his silence. She talked on about Mr. Charrington and the new schools. And then Cedric came flying down the path to meet them, and the next moment Malcolm saw Diana smiling in the porch. After dinner that evening they gathered round the fire, for the nights were still chilly and Elizabeth joined the circle to hear Cedric's scheme discussed. From his dark corner Malcolm watched her. In spite of her unrelieved black and absence of ornaments, she was looking more like the old Elizabeth. 
she grew interested, and then quite absorbed in Cedric's project, and soon began discussing it with her wonted vivacity. When Malcolm made some damping remark, she argued the point with him in a most peremptory fashion, and was quite Elizabethan in her rebuke. "'That is the worst of talking to a lawyer,' she said severely. "'His legal mind takes such cut-and-dried views. Granted that it is a speculation. It seems a promising one. And nothing venture, nothing have.' I don't know how you feel, Di, but I am quite willing to do my share. Then Dinah, who was in quite a flutter of excitement and pleasure, looked at her adviser in a timid, deprecating fashion. If Mr. Herrick thinks we are not imprudent, I should like to do as Cedric wishes, she replied, though there is no need to touch your money, Betty. But Elizabeth took no notice of this remark. "'I have a proposal to make,' she went on, in such an animated voice that Malcolm started. "'Why should we not all go down and see the place? And Mr. Strickland could come too. Donerton is only three hours from town. It would be a sort of picnic excursion, and I know Diana would like it. "'Bravo, Betty! What a brick you are!' exclaimed Cedric boisterously, and Malcolm observed in a low voice that it was an excellent idea. But when they talked it over quietly, they found an amendment was necessary. It would be impossible to go and return the same day. There was the farm to inspect, and most likely they would have to consult the lawyer. The matter ended by Cedric volunteering to go back with Malcolm when he returned to town, and talk the matter over with Harry Strickland. And if any decent lodgings could be found in the little town of Donerton, they would stop at least one night. As early a day as possible was to be fixed, and all the arrangements were to be made by the gentleman. Dinah was evidently charmed with the prospect of seeing the priory. But Elizabeth's ardour quickly cooled when she found it would be necessary to remain the night. "'I suppose you could not go without me, Di,' she observed when alone with her sister. Then Diana's face fell. "'Oh, Betty, dear, that would spoil everything,' she said in a distressed tone. "'Surely you want to see dear Cedric's future home?' "'Of course I want to see it,' returned Elizabeth, rather shortly. "'Only I should have preferred going down quietly a little later on.' Which was somewhat contradictory, as she had herself proposed the plan. But perhaps the delighted look on Malcolm's face when he heard her proposition had somewhat alarmed her for the next day she was a little cool and distant in her manner to him, and left his entertainment to Dinah and Cedric. End of chapter 40